Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16. a familiar passage of scripture. I'm sure we all have heard of it before. I've even talked on it a number of times here, but it really is core um, for us as believers. Um, This passage of scripture, I I really believe in a lot of ways it defines the life of the Christian and what we're supposed to be about and what we need to be aware of. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yeah, amen to that. Doesn't that feel good just to say it? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. If you have to underline that, highlight it, do whatever you have to in your Bibles. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now I want to pause right here. Yeah, gates of hell, Hades, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I can't talk. I recently found out, and I love this about Scripture, because there's oftentimes things that are in Scripture that you look at and you kind of take for granted, but you don't really understand because of the geography, because of the time, because of the culture, certain aspects of scripture. But it says here at the top where we started reading that Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. And in Caesarea Philippi, I was recently shown a picture of this giant cave. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it's right near Caesarea Philippi. It's this giant cave, and it was considered to be called the gate of hell. And so Jesus takes this journey there, and he sits, and he's walking, and he's as he's not sitting, he's walking with his disciples, and he asks them, who do everybody say that I am? Well, you're Jeremiah, you're one of the prophets, you're Elijah. But who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay, Peter. I call you, or Simon, I call you Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It was kind of like an object lesson where Jesus was taking them to that place and saying, listen, it was considered the mouth of hell. I don't know if you've seen it, but it looks like an open, gaping mouth. And it was considered the way into hell. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I know this is a familiar passage of scripture, but I want to take us through this a little bit at a time. Back up with me. Simon answered, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon, Son of Jonah, for flesh and blood, everybody say flesh and blood. Flesh and blood blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. There's an immediate comparison and contrast to what's going on. He says, flesh and blood does not give that to you. My Father in heaven gives that to you. In other words, 
that revelation that you just received right there, just understand that never in your flesh and in your own ability are you ever going to be able to comprehend what just came out of your mouth. It's because it doesn't come from flesh and blood. It came from my Father in heaven. We have got to understand, church, that we as believers were dead. But yet we're alive. But we're dead. Right? I'm crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. There's a reality shift that has happened in the planet for us as believers. And if we walk around living on this planet according to flesh and blood, we don't get the revelation that's coming from heaven. Because our minds have to be changed. Our understanding has to shift and recognize that we are seated with him in heavenly places. Correct? Ephesians 2. Pardon me. (coughs) We're seated with him in heavenly places. That we've been made a partaker of the divine nature. That we're no longer sinners. We're saints. I'm not making it up, guys. The word's full of it. If if you think you're a sinner, then the book of Ephesians doesn't apply to you. Because it starts by saying, to the saints. Corinthians, same thing. To the saints. And if you think you're a sinner, then that doesn't apply to you. Throw that one out. It's to the saints. Now, why am I going after this? Last week, I talked about rightly dividing in 2 Timothy 2, right? Rightly dividing, and rightly dividing the truth is rightly dividing the covenants. We still have, by and large, a people living in the new covenant who are living by old covenant realities. And we need to recognize the difference. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. But yet we still want to do works of righteousness. It's like we want to tag on to what Jesus has done and say, you did 99%, I'm going to do my 1%. It doesn't work like that. It's all him or it's nothing. That's why it's called Old Covenant, New Covenant. Covenant had to do with, you guys know this, covenant had to do with two parties coming together and making an agreement, right? But even with the Old Covenant, the Abrahamic Covenant, with the Old Covenant, with the law, it was God only, right? It's called unilateral. When Jesus came on the scene, he did the same thing. He said, I give you a new covenant. It's the covenant in my blood. This is my body, this is my blood. My body's broken for you, my blood is shed for you. It was unilateral. How do we enter into the covenant with Jesus? You believe it. It's the same way Abraham entered into the covenant with God, right? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. That's a complete Old Testament picture of what happens in New Testament. Why am I bringing that into what we're talking about here? Because the battle that we're raging is raging right now is not necessarily what we're fighting with our flesh and blood, right? Ephesians 6 tells us that. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. What do the principalities and powers do? Where do they come? Where do they enter in? How do they get in? Right here. It's that space between our ears where they want to live. Joyce Meyer, you may be familiar with it, book she wrote a number of years ago, The Battlefield of the Mind. Has anybody ever read that book? Fantastic book. It's like an all-time best. Um, Absolutely right. The battlefield, the battle that we're facing has to do with what's going on in our mind. And I believe what Jesus is pointing out here is the very first, he's revealing himself. He has been revealing himself, but he's revealing it even at a deeper level. And he's saying to Peter right here and to his disciples that this entire issue of the kingdom coming and your recognition of who I am is going to deal with this issue of you fighting what goes on in your mind. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. He changed his name. Simon 
calls him Peter. Peter is the word Petros. It's a derivative of the word Petra. Petra means rock. And he says, Simon, son of Jonah, I'm calling you rock or stone. And on this rock, I will build my church. They're two different words. One of them is Petros for Peter, and it means little stone. Petra means rock or foundational bedrock. You see the difference in it. So he says to you, I call you tiny rock, and on this giant rock, I'm going to build my church. In other words, you got a revelation. I'm changing your name because you're beginning to see something that is coming from heaven that is not coming from earth. I'm changing your name to Petros, and on this revelation, this foundational bedrock, I'm going to build my church. Now, I love this passage of scripture, especially for people who are church planters, like myself. We're second time around on this church planting thing. And so I get to hang around church planters a lot because it's just kind of the culture. And we are so consumed with trying to build the church. And we get so distracted because who builds the church? And what does he build it on? That right, that revelation that he's the Christ, the son of the living God. Everything is born out of that right there. It's the foundation of everything. Christ is the son of the living God and the entire church is built on that one revelation right there. That's the kind of deep revelation that Christ, the son of the living God, is the kind of revelation that you can't exhaust. You can't. It's like, it's not like you go, oh, I got it. Okay, thank you. And move on. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Even when you say it, it changes things. I feel it when I say it. Every time I read this thing, I feel it change something inside of me. I don't fully get it. I mean, I understand it, Christ, Son of God, you know, sins of the world. I understand that, but I don't fully get and comprehend that kind of stuff because that's heaven stuff. You guys know what I'm talking about. When you get something that comes from heaven and it speaks to you, it speaks to you at a level that your logic can't understand. Because primarily the gospel has never been meant to be something that appeals to our logic. Never has been. Christianity is not something that's built on principles. It's based on passion. And we turn Christianity into principles. I'm going to get on a little hobby horse here. All right. We are not a people who live primarily by principles. Hello? And if we are, we've reduced Christianity down to something we understand. Principles are like the airbags and the seatbelts in my car. They keep me safe, but they do not move me down the road. It's his presence that moves me. It's the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit that moves me down the road. If I reduce Christianity down to principles, I might be safe, but I'm not going anywhere. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. On you, little rock, I'm going to build. On you, little rock, on this bigger rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he goes on to say this. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So to all my church planter friends, I'm always having this conversation. Guys, we're not building anything. All we do is we've been given keys and we're unlocking stuff. And that's what we do. We go around and we unlock destiny in people's lives. Right? And we bind up things that are binding them. Come on, somebody say amen to that. That's a good word, right? That's what we're about. We've been given this kind of authority, but we've never been given authority over people. We've been given authority over the demonic. We bring kingdom of heaven into this earth by the authority that we've been given. I have keys. You guys have keys? Yes, Yes, you have keys. Let's use those keys to unlock things and let Jesus build the church. I have an idea. I don't think it's just an idea. I have a vision for it. That if we were to really embrace what it looks like as a people of God to understand that we're not building anything, anything, 
that all we're doing is walking around with keys to the kingdom and that everybody we meet, we might possibly have a key to something in their life to help them, right? I know I have keys for my family, for my kids, for my wife. I know that because that's something God has placed me in. But there might be people I walk down the street that I have keys for. Come on, this sounds like fun, doesn't it? It's like... It's like a fun little treasure hunt. You're trying to open up something with a key and unlock something that could be magnificent inside of somebody else. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom and heaven, of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. That language should better be translated like this. I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound and whatever you loose will have already been loosed. That's a better language. In other words... It's already done. What you're doing is you're walking around, coming into agreement in it, and bringing that manifestation from heaven down into the planet Earth. Right? Again, this goes back to, I know this is core foundational stuff. We always talk about this, but I don't ever want us to lose sight of this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done where? As it is in heaven. What are we doing? We're constantly walking around saying, I want the reality of heaven to be manifest on this earth. By the way, that's not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17. We call it that, but it's not the Lord's Prayer. Jesus doesn't need to say, forgive us our sins. Sorry, that was free. I just threw that one in there for you. Peter's profound statement was because his mind was on God. His mind was on God. Now, I love Peter. I can totally identify with, if there's any New Testament character I can identify, it's with this cat. He'll say something so profound like that, and then something else happens. Verse 20. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was, the, that he was Jesus the Christ. You guys recognize Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. Okay? It's not his last name. It's his title. The anointed one, Jesus, the Christ. Verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then Peter, wonderful Peter, took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Can you imagine? I mean, this is what we do in our humanity, right? We bring some kind of revelation onto the scene and we feel so good about it, we're like. Jesus, far be it from you. Don't you remember? Rock. Revelation. Jesus begins to unpack what needs to happen because that doesn't happen until he goes through what he needs to go through, right? You guys understand there's no resurrection without death. Well, that felt good. There's no resurrection without death. Unless a seed and die, right? And we as believers in Jesus Christ, we're what? Dead, right? Where do Christians go when they die? Right? It's like a trick question. I don't know. Should I answer that one? I don't know. Maybe there's something he knows I don't know. What are you getting at, Andrew? What am I getting at? Where does a Christian go when they die? <laughs> to heaven. And are you dead? Yes. No. Where's heaven? No. no. If you're not dead, you're not resurrected. 
And if you're not resurrected, you're not, yeah. Okay, all right. Stay with me a minute. Everybody thinks I'm unpacking some deep theological thing right here. What is this, something new? Tell us more about this. We would like to hear this. Okay, do you believe Galatians 2.20? I am crucified with Christ. It is what? No longer? I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, now there is a huge dynamic shift. If we can just get a hold of that right there. Were you buried with Christ? Romans 6, right? And it also says right after that that you're raised to walk in a newness of life, correct? Yes. Okay, so are you dead? Yes. Does that make you alive? Yes. And when, when Christians die, where do they go? Heaven. Where is heaven? Okay, am I dry? Is this really hard? Am I making this picture really difficult here? I need to draw it, right. While we were dead in trespasses and sin, he made us alive and made us sit together with him in heavenly places. You guys, I've done this before. I'll do it again. About a couple of years ago, I got a huge revelation on this thing. Because that doesn't make sense to me, right? Is that, is that hard to understand? While we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive and made us sit together with him in heavenly places. That is so like, what are you, what are you, what are you? I don't get that. But remember, it's not something that appeals to our intellect. Jesus says, the words that I speak to you are spirit and life, Right? Where's your spirit? Inside, right? Okay. Life. Where do you feel it? You feel it in your heart, right? It's a, it's a, it's a soul thing. We're going to get to this in just a minute. But when I read this passage of scripture, it dawned on me like, oh my gosh, I have been begging God to do things for so long by saying, your will on earth as it is in heaven. And I lived like that for so long. But my dynamic, and I'm telling you, when I started looking like, living like this, my perception changed so much that I stopped asking and begging God to doing things. I started commanding it. Because I realized I'm not primarily an earthly being having brief spiritual experiences on this planet. I am primarily a spiritual being having a brief earthly experience on this planet. So it's no longer, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Why? Because that's where I live. Right? Now, I know I've said this before. We've gone over this. But, you know, why does a teacher have to keep going over things? So you remember it, right? Right, Jody? Teacher? Repetition's the price of knowledge, right? Till we keep getting it inside of us. But it's not repetition in the sense that I own it right here. It needs to be done until it's owned right here. So where do you live? In heaven. There you go. That's right. Seated with him in heavenly places, right? This is so good. Come on, I'm really giving you some good stuff here. Are you guys with me? Okay. So, Peter comes along. He's got this attitude. I've got this thing. Jesus, let me tell you about it. You don't need to go to the cross. Trust me, you don't need to go to the cross. Remember? Revelation, dude. I've got it. Jesus says this. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Exactly, ouch. Dude, it's like total smackdown right there. I mean, here's Peter. He's like, like this, and then he just walks away. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you're not mindful. Everybody say mindful. mindful. 
mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. Now, make a note in your Bible here. That word mindful there is the word phroneo. It's the same word that is used in Colossians 3.1 when it says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Same word. You're not thinking about things about, and oh, and by the way, this mindful thing, just to show you that it's not about your intellect, that's the same word that is used for affections. Hello. Your affections are not on the things of God, but on the things of man. Your affections right now, Peter, have to do with you not liking the fact that I have to suffer and die. Your love is not set on something in heaven. Your love is setting on something in the flesh. And you don't understand, unless this flesh die, you can't be a part of me. Unless this flesh die, you don't get this thing. He says, Jesus goes on to say, I have to go away, and it's good that I go away. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. Aren't you thankful for that? Yes. Get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me. Other, the other gospel says it like this, that he turned, and he actually put his back on Peter, and he said... Get, and he spoke to his disciples and he said, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God. He physically turned his body away from him. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, now here's where the Christian living comes in. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Now, we have in church, and I'm tying this to what we were talking about last week of rightly dividing the covenants, we have in church drug in so much of the old covenant that we tell people that denying themselves has to do with you go doing this, doing this, doing this, and not doing this and doing this. Is this making sense? It has nothing to do with that. Because you cannot consistently behave in a way that's inconsistent with what you believe. Right? So the battle is what's going on up here in the mind. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let me back up to the verse before. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That word follow literally means to side with or accompany. To side with. Whose side are you going to be on? You're going to be on heaven's side? Or are you going to be on flesh side? You're going to be on earth side? Yeah. Jesus dealt with the sin nature. Amen. He dealt with the sin nature. So as a believer, you cannot say, well, it's in our nature to sin. It's not. He dealt with the sin nature. It's very clear in Scripture. Romans chapter 6, Romans 5, 6, 7, 8. Look at all of them. Read them. He dealt with the sin nature. But we still have the capacity to sin, right? We just don't have the capacity to enjoy it as much. Because the sin nature has been taken away. And when we sin, we feel it. Because it doesn't belong in us, right? So we're not battling against the sin nature. We're battling against flesh. That's why Jesus is pointing out, flesh and blood doesn't reveal this to you. you don't, the flesh profits nothing, Paul says. It profits absolutely nothing. I can't get anything good out of this thing. That's even why in Romans 7, it's important to understand that I see all this stuff. The things that I don't want to do, those are the things I do. And the things I do want to do, I don't want to do. The same, right? You guys are familiar with the passage? He goes, I find in a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. That my willpower produces the problem. 
I don't have the will. I mean, I have the will, but it will not produce the good thing that I desire. That's why he goes on in the next chapter, in Romans chapter 8, and he says, if by the Spirit then you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. Right? By the Spirit of God. In other words, where do we live? In the Spirit. In heaven. Right? In heavenly places. That's the reality of who we are. My spirit man is completely alive, seated with him in heavenly places. If I decide to live from this direction that way, I'm going to get it wrong. But if I live from that direction towards here, I get it right. Is this connecting? Follow him. Accompany him. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That's that word, suke. Yeah, sounds like his last name, Azuike. It's close, but not. Abube Azuike. That just sounds good to say that. The Greek word there is suke. Guys, it's where we get the word psychology. The study of the soul. Psychology is just that. It's the study of the soul. I think it's always interesting. My son was taking a, is in a psychology class now, and I've asked him a few questions early on. What do they talk about? Because I'm always interested to see where the focus is in psychology. It's so much on the soul, and it leaves the fact that we're spirit beings and we're not. You hear what I'm saying? So you cannot find solutions to the problems in your life by a psychologist. Will they help? Yes, they may help identify things. So if you're a psychologist, I'm not stepping on your toes, not trying to. Everybody with me? Did I just offend people in here? I always offend you, Kale. I'm not worried about that. (laughs) Suke, where we get the word psychology. So... If he gains the whole world and loses his soul, where, what is the soul? The soul consists of your mind, your will, your emotions, right? It's important to understand that. That's the seat of our mind, our will, and our emotions. So he's saying here, what, will it profit, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his mind, his will, his emotions? Or what will a man gain in exchange for his mind, will, and emotions? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of the Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works." Your works are not based on what you will to do. It's based on what you believe in. Hello. Right? Remember what we said earlier on? Abraham. He believed. Right? We are a people who believe in the person of Jesus, but we're constantly being challenged in our belief systems. Right? So when we read things in the word of God, we need to check and see. Let them go through a process. George was saying earlier, we all need a good brainwashing. We do. We need a good brainwashing because we need to be rinsed of those things that are earthly, fleshly thinking that we drag into new covenant living. I think it's interesting Jesus talks like this. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He actually thinks like that. It's his mindset. But what is he doing? He's not saying, hey, you need to die like I died because that wouldn't work, would it? It wouldn't work at all. He's not saying you need, and people do that. Take up your cross and follow me. So people try to model the person of Jesus by taking up some kind of cross. And you ever heard people say, even in Christendom, oh, well, this is my cross to bear. I am sorry, it is not. If it's your cross to bear, then he took it, and you're saying it was incomplete. It's like looking at Jesus and saying, thank you so much, but you really didn't finish the work. Let me do this. So where's the challenge? Where do we believe? What do we believe? Take up your cross means to die to the self, die to the soulish kind of living. It's what I call solar power, S-O-U-L-A-R, solar power. I'm going to live my life in Christianity based on what I can produce out of my soul. 
Hello? Is this disconnecting at all? I cannot live. We know that the flesh profits nothing. We know we're three-part beings, right? We're flesh, we're soul, and we're spirit. We're the body, soul, and spirit. My body profits nothing. I can't do anything with it, right? My soul is wonderful, but my soul is really only good for one thing. And Psalms reveals it, reveals it to us over and over. What is my soul good for? To bless the Lord, right? That's why David says that. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. I bless your holy name. There's a turning of us towards him where we lift up adoration and praise. That's why I say when we come into worship, it's not the precursor, it's the main thing. I want an encounter with Jesus. I want an encounter with Jesus with the assembling of the saints, but I want it in my closet and I want it in my car when I'm driving down the road. That can be a little dangerous because it can get a little like swervy when that happens. But Wait, ask him to show up in your car. You'll know what I'm talking about. He starts talking to you and you're going, where did that come from? I want my mind to be so set on the things of heaven that that's what I begin to realize. Because listen, this is important. I'm not making it up in the context of the scripture. When Peter begins to say to Jesus, far be it from you for these things to happen, what did he begin to do? He slipped from being mindful of the things of God, phroneo, affectionately towards the things of God, to affectionately towards the things of man. And what happened? He started to channel hell. I really want to make this with such extreme polar opposites because that's what's happening. When we set our mind on the things of this earth and we start thinking about these things and living from that perspective, what are we doing? We're channeling hell right into the situation. Why did Jesus have to so harshly rebuke Peter and say, get behind me, Satan? He was speaking from the Father originally. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven gave you those words. Then he immediately turns around and says, now you're speaking from Satan. Satan, get behind me. You're an offense. You're a stumbling block to me. Get behind me. I don't want to channel hell into my life. I know that I can't do anything to make myself more righteous. What I can do is I can believe. And when I find myself missing the mark, so to speak. You guys know that's what sin means. Harmarship means to miss the mark. And when I find myself missing the mark, I have to look back at it and go, it's because there's a deficit in my belief system. I'm believing something that didn't write. I bought into a lie. Man, that felt good. Listen to me. If there are habitual sin patterns in your life, recognize that you're not going to be able to get over them on your own. Recognize this. You bought a lie. You bought into a lie. And when you believe the lie, you empower the liar. And now he has authority. When you believe the lie of Satan, it's like giving him a hall pass and saying, run around in my mind. Yeah. He'd be glad to do it. Because that's where it... Why do you think it says, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Why? Because not every thought you have is your own. Yeah. Exactly. I don't want to be mindful of the things of the earth. I want to be mindful of the things of God. And he actually thinks that you live by dying. So much so that he did it. Oh man, we've got to have a different perspective we take on this. You know, when we... You don't invite Jesus into your heart. You come into his. Think of the difference. I don't, he doesn't come into my life. I come into his. I don't have any life to offer. Hello. Okay, now am I stepping on toes again? Is this weird? But we still talk like that. 
prayed to receive Jesus. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not trying to correct everybody. I'm just saying if we have that kind of perspective, then Jesus is coming into you, which is not entirely wrong because I do have the creator of the universe inside of me, even though I live in this flesh. If the spirit of him who raised you from the dead dwells in you, right, he'll quicken your mortal body. So if I recognize that, I've got the spirit of God living inside of me, then it's going to have to manifest somehow inside of my body. It has to. That's why sickness and stuff, it shouldn't, shouldn't be allowed to live in the human body. I'm, I'm preaching the gospel to you right now. But I'm telling you, the gospel will oftentimes come with opposition, confrontation, difficulty, even seeming failure. Because it almost sounds too good to be true. And if there's a problem with it, it's what's going on inside of our mind. I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. No, I am not endorsing love God, do as you please. I just want to be clear on that. I am just simply saying, if there is continual sin patterns in our life, don't try to fix yourself. Run to the person of Jesus and say, I bought into a lie. Will you, by the power of your spirit, show me what that lie is? Because I'm believing a lie and it's determining the way of my life and I don't want to live like that anymore. (laughs) Weeping and gnashing of teeth. What am I ultimately getting at? I'm going to wrap it up here. The mind of Christ thinks different, guys, than the earthly, fleshly mind. We need the mind of Christ. We've been told in Corinthians that we have been given the mind of Christ. But whether we access it or not is really determined by how we're going to live. I want my awareness to shift. This is a core thing. This is a core issue of what we talk about here. I want my mind to shift to be so much more aware of what Jesus is doing and what he's saying what's going on right now in heaven so that I can speak it and I can broker it into the earth. If I'm seated with him in heavenly places, then I should be able to get that revelation from him, be able to speak into people's lives. When you begin to see people, you'll know it begins to happen, guys. When you come across people and you see them with an ailment and your first thought doesn't go to, here, take medication or go see your doctor. Are those things wrong? No, absolutely not. God uses doctors all the time. I'm thankful for them. I go to doctors when I have to. But I want my mind to be so much more aware that when I see somebody with a sickness or an ailment, that the first thing I go to is I've got the power of the living God inside of me. And all I have to do is touch that and speak at it and say, be healed in Jesus' name. Come on, is this good for you guys? Because either we talk about Christianity and the power of the resurrection and we do it in here and we go out there and nothing changes. Or we believe it and we actually take it out and we do something with it. Right? It's beginning to happen. I'm beginning to see it happen within, within the church. I'm hearing testimonies of things happening. I'm thinking that it's probably good for all of us to start stepping into this, right? Yeah. Who says, I can do it, right? You can, you can. I have people ask me the question, well, Andrew, what happens if you pray for somebody and, and God doesn't show up or they don't get saved or they don't get healed? Does it make the gospel of Jesus Christ invalid? No, not at all. So what do you do? You just keep going. When I was at YWAM a week ago, I talked a lot with the students about healing, because I always do. And people ask me every time, but what if you pray for somebody and they don't get healed? Then I pray for them again. Well, what if they don't get healed? I pray for them again. Well, when do you stop? Well, whenever I feel the need to stop, I'll stop. But I'll pray for them again. But I also know this. I've prayed for people multiple times. They haven't gotten healed. And then I find out a couple of days later they got healed. Yeah. Yeah. He's not restricted by time. I am. 
So what do you do? What happens if you pray for somebody and they don't get healed? You pray for the next one. You go to the next one. And you keep doing it. You, you hear what I'm saying? Well, I don't want to build theologies based on what we perceive God is or isn't doing. Because that would be like presenting the gospel to somebody and then rejecting it and then me beginning to question, is the gospel valid? Well, we wouldn't do that with salvation, would we? If I preach salvation to somebody and they reject the gospel, does that mean salvation message is not good? No. If I speak healing to somebody and they don't get healed, does that mean the healing message isn't good? Okay, I'm done with all this. Is this helpful to you guys? I feel like there's a repositioning I'm really going after here. I, I want to see us getting mind, more mindful of the things of God. Religion tells you, get rid of this, get rid of that, get rid of this, get rid of that, so that you can be more holy. It doesn't work like that. First Peter tells us to be holy, for I am holy. And we turn that into, I need to go do something because God's holy, I need to be holy. When you don't recognize that you're holy is because you're in him and he's holy, so therefore you are holy. And when we recognize that, oh man. So much more of what we really want to get rid of gets gone when we recognize who he is and stop putting our eyes on the thing that's wrong. If I put my eyes on the thing that's right, then the thing that's wrong tends to go away. Because I've got my, my heart, my mind, my affections, they're set in the right place. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Why? Because you died. And now your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where's Christ? Seated at the right hand of the Father. Oh, by the way, where are you? Christ. Seated at the right hand of the Father. Okay, I just want to think from that perspective. I want to live from that perspective towards earth. Let's remind ourselves of that. Everybody stand up with me here. God has invited us in his loving, wonderful nature, his character, and his awesomeness. He's invited us into a lifestyle where we're postured for greatness and to reveal the glory of the Lord in the earth. But we need a little pruning. Need a little pruning so that all those things we think about that are of this earth get rinsed out of us. Amen? All right, everybody, hold your hands up. We just want more of you, Jesus, because you're wonderful. You're wonderful, Jesus. You are still saving. You're still saving. And I need your salvation, Jesus. I need it more. I need to be saved from this wicked generation, this thinking pattern of this wicked generation. So, Lord, I want you, I'm hoping you guys are agreeing with me here, and just saying, Lord, I want more of your profound presence in my life so that I can represent you more accurately. Lord, I, I don't want to be double-minded, as your word says. If I'm double-minded, I'm unstable in all my ways, as James says, right? What does double-minded mean? You've got your mind in heaven at one point, you've got your mind on earth at another point. That's why you're unstable. Lord, my mind set on you. You've given me the mind of Christ. I have my mind set on you, Lord. I pray that every individual I run into, I see through your eyes. I pray every circumstance that comes into my life, I see it through your eyes. And that I hear your voice speaking to me. So when things go really, really wrong, that I can look at it the way you look at it. Come on, this is good. That I can look at it the way you look at it. Oh, Jesus, we want to be a people who represent you accurately in the earth. That's it. Yes. We want to we represent you in the fullness. You said you came to reveal the Father. 
And we want to do that. You've given us Holy Spirit and you've said, tag, you're it. So we want to reveal you accurately and reveal the Father accurately, Lord. So, Lord, we believe it. We totally believe your word. Help us in our unbelief. And even as Hebrew says, beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Lord, I don't want evil in my life. I know evil comes from unbelief or believing the lie. So, Father, we just say right now, spirit of truth, change hearts, change minds. And we begin to walk, so that we begin to walk, Lord, the way you've designed us to walk. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.